Good morning. Yes, thank you. Uh, let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we'll be looking at verses 30 through 32, the last three verses in uh, the chapter. Okay, I know you don't believe me, but I really think this is the last sermon on chapter 4. All right, um, it's, it's just sort of working out that way. Um, I did actually see a couple more sermons in there, uh, but uh, at some point uh, we move on. Uh, but I do want to point out in uh, verse 30, where he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Um, this really isn't a part of what we'll be looking at later, uh, other than uh, relatedly. Um, I want us to focus later on, on verse 32, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Uh, I learned it in King James. That was the most contemporary Bible we had when I was growing up, so that's, that's how I learned it. But I want uh, look for a moment at verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's a lot of theology going in that, a lot of very important teaching that, that we have to keep in mind. First of all, when it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, um, you can't do that to a force. You can only grieve a person. A lot of times you hear people talk about the Holy Spirit, and they say, well, the Holy Spirit is the force. You know, Galaxy Edge is opening up in August uh, this month in, in Orlando. Anybody know what Galaxy Edge is? I am so cool, Dave. I'm the only one who knows. This is the new Star Wars exhibit at, at Disney World. You're not excited about this? Even I'm excited about this. Anyway, having said that, um, but a lot of folks feel like that, that the Holy Spirit is just a force, and it's a, it's a power, it's, a, it's an influence that, that you have, and you don't grieve a force. You know, powers or influences don't get sad. Only a person can be grieved. You see, and this is why as we read the Bible, we say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is personal. It's not some abstract or, or, or inanimate sort of influence on us. It is the actual presence of God, the one God in three persons, the person of the Holy Spirit inhabiting the life of every believer in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just a conscience, just a sense of doing right or wrong. It's not just a sense of, oh, God is out there, and if God were here, and if God knew what I was thinking, and if God were able to tell me, then he might say this, that, or the other. The Holy Spirit isn't just the influence of knowing somebody. Uh, I'll tell this story, and I hope for forgiveness later, John. But Chris, <laughs> he was in the office the other day, and he was getting ready to do something that um, was perfectly innocent and right. Okay. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, I think it was Randy said, Chris, don't do that. And Chris didn't do it. He didn't do it. And he announced, he said, my conscience told me not to do it. And so uh, somebody uh, uh, asked him and said, look, 
Does your conscience sound like Randy? Chris said, no, my conscience sounds like Grandpa. Yeah? I thought that was so cool. My voice, the voice of guilt on generations of Amen. Yeah. That's right. But the Holy Spirit is not just your conscience. The Holy Spirit is the actual presence of God because the Holy Spirit is personal. And the Holy Spirit is relational. We have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cares about what we do. The Holy Spirit isn't about just sending out, you know, sort of um, messages and generalizations and uh, just sort of notions and concepts. The Holy Spirit speaks to us personally and relationally because the Holy Spirit cares what we do. That's why you can grieve the Holy Spirit when you disobey or when we ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit or we, or we don't uh, submit our lives to the power and the working of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in us. And so the Holy Spirit is also relational and the Holy Spirit is purposeful. The Holy Spirit has something in mind for us something in mind for our lives. And what the Holy Spirit has in mind is that we would look like Jesus, that we would live in such a way that our lives would reflect who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us as we live with others. Because after all, we know that's why we are saved. We know that is our predestiny. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do things that, that don't look like Jesus. Do things that do look like Jesus. And, there, and that's the reason why in chapter 4, he says, look, take off the old person. Put on the new person in Christ. Get rid of the old way of life. Put on the new life in Christ. And, and that's why he's, he's been talking about various things that happened. And in verse 31, he'll say, and so take off all the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Just get rid of all those things. They have nothing to do with the image of Christ. And therefore, they have nothing to do with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And therefore, you have to take those things off. Put those things away. And instead, put on the kindness and the tenderness and the forgiveness of Christ because that's what will make you look like Jesus. And if I can phrase it this way, that's what will make the Holy Spirit happy is when we look like Jesus. And that's how the Holy Spirit makes us able to glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted for us to think for a second about that verse. We won't spend uh, any time on it really later on this morning. But it's just too important to gloss over, too important to ignore, particularly in the personal aspect and the personal work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of our believers. So uh, with that, uh, let's read together. Um, I'll read. You read along with me. Verse 30 through 32 of Ephesians 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you.
Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, this month many of us are sending our students off to college and to university. And as they go out and, uh, and seek an education, Father, we're just thankful that you give us minds to think and to learn. And we do pray for the safety of our students. We pray for their, their physical safety, but, Father, for their spiritual safety and emotional safety, that your Holy Spirit indeed would protect them and keep them ever close to you in Christ. But we thank you, Father, that education and learning is not just a momentary thing at one part of life, but that you call us to be learning constantly. And that in your word we have just a deep, deep well and reservoir of your word, your truth coming to us. We never come to the end of it. We never master it, Father. We never have incorporated all of it, but there's always something more to learn and something more to apply to our lives. And so we thank you for the gift of your word, thankful that you give us the the joy of learning your word, and thankful for the Holy Spirit who teaches us and guides us into the truth of your word. And I pray that we would ever be students of the scripture so that in us and through us, the power, the truth of your word would come out in our lives. We ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I trust you're a little bit excited about the changes we're making in our children's and preschool ministries. And uh, uh, I'm trusting that your children are also excited about it. And if they're not, go home and tell them to be excited about it because we need this encouragement. But uh, the, the training of children, the first educational experiences of children are, are so important. And, and in the church, uh, not everybody grows up in church, but what a blessing it is to um, come into church through the doors of the nursery and just cradle to grave the whole time in the context of a family. Uh, to be a family church uh, is, a, is a great thing. Um, you know, I, a lot of the things we remember start at a very, very young age. One of the principles of education is you start teaching things early. Now, you don't teach it all at once. For instance, when a child starts school, you teach them, well, Paul Revere rode and told people the British are coming. And then by the time you're in college, you realize, well, it probably never happened quite, quite that way, but here are the dynamics and the politics of it and the history of it. So, and, but that's fine. But I, by the way, I still like Paul Revere, even if he never rode anywhere, but you know, it, it's a great story. Um, but we, we teach uh, a little bit at a time, but that foundational teaching in the early years is, is so very, very important. Um, I don't remember a lot of things in my childhood, but I, I do remember some things about going to church as a child. Um, back then, <laughs> I hate saying that, but back then, you know, we, we had a, 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 I think it was a 10-point system on the, on the envelope. Did anybody else have that? No, I was the only one. But on, 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 the, on your offering envelope, it had 10 places to check off. Well, did you read your Bible? Did you learn your memory verse? Are you present in Sunday school? Will you be present in worship? Did you bring your offering? You know, and if you checked off all the bo boxes, you got 10 points, which didn't matter because they never gave you anything for it, but you got 10 <laughs> points. But it was actually a pretty nice way to remind people, you know, here's some things you can do as a Christian uh, every week. Uh, and you know, it, it was in uh, the uh, children's uh, um, uh, Sunday school departments. We didn't call them uh, preschoolers and and children back then, we were beginners and primaries and intermediates and then youth. 
And uh, so I, I can remember as a primary and, and, and a beginner um, being in, in Sunday school. I, I'm going to confess I don't remember a lot about what went on, uh, just a few things that um, therapy is taking care of now. But, um, but I do remember some of the crafts, you know, some of the things we did during Sunday school. Uh, and the one that I, I was thinking about that this week, and the one that really stuck in my mind was the one where they put us in a chair and they had the spotlight shining on us so that the teacher could trace our silhouette. You, has anybody done that? Yeah, so the teacher traced our silhouette and the teacher cut out the silhouette and the teacher pasted the silhouette to another piece of paper and gave it to me so I could say, look what I made, Mommy. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was a moment of pride. And for some reason, that just sticks out in my mind. I remember that. Uh, feel free to use that if you're a teacher. Uh, and it's really great. But one of the things we had to do was, was uh, memorize Bible verses. And I think I, I probably did that like I did most of my education. I learned it for the test and then, then forgot it. Uh, but the one Bible verse that sticks in my mind is be ye kind one to another. Um, Debbie and I were talking about it this week, and she said, oh, that's one of the first Bible verses you ever learned. I said, no, that's not true. It is the first Bible verse I ever learned, was be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, that's a very simple verse, and, and children can understand, any, anybody can understand it. Be ye kind one to another. What does it mean? Well, be kind. Don't hit your brother. I never hit my brothers. No, I never hit my brothers. They were both bigger than I was. And, uh, you know, whatever the fight was, I always lost. So um, it had nothing to do with spirituality. It was simply a survival technique. But, you know, but if you're going to be kind, uh, don't hit your brother. Don't take toys away from your friends. Uh, you know, don't, don't be mean to people. Always be nice, helpful to people. So on, on one level, telling a child, be ye kind, you know, sounds like sort of the, the, the advice we give to a child. But as Paul writes, he gives it to grown Christians, and he says, be ye kind and tenderhearted and forgiving toward one another, because that's what God did for you. And as I got to thinking about this verse, Ephesians 4.32, it, it, it occurs to me that the entirety, the entire story of the gospel is bound up in this verse. I'm not going to tell you it's the only verse where that happens, but in this verse you see the entire gospel presented. I mean, you, you go to the end of the verse and Paul says forgive because that's what God has done for you. He has forgiven you. See, that, that's the, the Christian message is that we are all deeply flawed, that we are sinners, we have rebelled against God, we've rejected the will of God for our lives. And as a result of that, our lives are twisted and distorted and dysfunctional, all because of our sin against God. Now, this separates Christians from the rest of the world. The rest of the world will tell you that the problem with the human race is that we're just not educated enough. And so we need more educational programs. Or we're just not wealthy enough, and so we need subsidies and transfers of wealth back and forth. Or we're just not motivated enough, and so what we need is some mechanism to just get our, our energy going so we can do what we always knew we could do anyway. But the Christian message is we are deeply flawed as human beings, and there is no hope within us of ever changing that because we are sinners and the wages of sin is death. That's not a very popular message, but that is the message of the Scripture. 
And the reason we need to know that is because it's the truth. But not only are we sinners condemned, but God saves sinners. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. There is forgiveness for our sins. And so God, out of his love and his grace and his mercy for us, sent his son to live a perfectly sinless life and then offer himself in our place as the perfect sacrifice. And when he died on the cross, he died the death that we deserve so that we could live the life that he wins for us by the power of the resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, all of our sin and our unrighteousness was taken from us and it was put on Jesus and he bore our sins and the weight of our sins crushed the life out of him because our sin was upon him. He experienced the dereliction. He experienced that moment when he cried out, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And because Jesus experienced that under the weight of our sin, we never will experience the death and the abandonment by God. He won our salvation on the cross. And then, of course, God raised him from the dead so that we might walk in a newness of life. And so Paul, at the very end of this, he, he says, now, now, forgive one another because that's what God did for you. God forgave you of your sins. Now, we've got to keep that at the very heart, at the very center of what we're talking about. As soon as we lose sight of Christ, all we do here then just becomes simple moralizing and do-good-ism. Without Christ, we lose our way and we lose our purpose. Without Christ, there really is no point. You remember that about 30 years after Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the Apostle John was moved by the Holy Spirit to take down a, a letter dictated by Christ, really. And there in Revelation chapter 2, in the first verse and following, Christ says to the church at Ephesus, he says, look, I know you're a successful church. And I know that you're prosperous. And I know that you have good doctrine and good teaching. And I know you're doing good things. And I know that you can tell the difference between truth and heresy and that you always stand for the truth. He says, I know you're a great, wonderful church. But then Jesus said, I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. You don't love Jesus the way you used to. And without that, the rest of it doesn't matter. And he went on to say, and therefore, uh, repent, remember from whence you have fallen and do the things you did at first. But when we lose sight of Christ, we lose our purpose and there's no point I'll just give you two historical examples. You do know that Harvard University was founded so that in America there would be a place where young men would be taught how to preach the Bible, how to preach the Word of God, that Harvard was founded so that the United States, then the colonies, so that in North America there would always be a place where people would be taught the Scriptures and taught the Word of God. How is that working for us now? And of course, Yale University was founded because Harvard went liberal. And Yale University was founded so that there would be a place to teach young men how to preach the Word of God. And then Princeton was founded because Yale had gone liberal. And Yale, the people founding uh, Princeton, I mean, uh, wanted a place where young men could be taught to preach the Word of God. But when you lose your focus and you lose your... Your, 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 your concentration, your love for Christ, 
then there's just no other point. There's no reason to it. I'll give you just one other example, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just observing history. And that is with the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association. Why was it founded? So that young men could have a Christian place to grow spiritually and physically. It was focused on Christ. Lately, they've taken all that out, now they're just the why. And I thought that was pretty good. You take Christ out of your purpose, and the only thing you got left is why. <laughs> and it's a good question. I mean, not, I'm not gainsaying good work and all this other business, but I'm just saying you lose your purpose spiritually when you leave Christ out. And so always at the very heart of it is the fact that Jesus Christ came, died for our sins, was raised on our behalf, is exalted in heaven, heaven and is coming again. And by the grace of God through faith, we can uh, be saved and forgiven from our sins. And God did that for us entirely, totally, and freely. So when Paul says, as it says here, and I'll read it, be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another. He's saying, let the dynamic power of the gospel work out in your life. Let it be the focus of your existence, what you do, what you think, what you say, how you relate to people. That's the foundation of it all. And so Paul brings together three things here. And in in verse uh, 31, of course, he talks about a lot of things to take off and to get rid of. But in a very positive way, he says, now be kind and be tenderhearted and be forgiving. Now, that word for tender-hearted, um, so in some of your translations, it, it, it probably says compassionate, have compassion for one another. Um, it, is, it is a word that is, that is used in the New Testament to describe uh, sort of the physical experience of sympathy for someone else. It's the word that is used whenever Jesus looked upon the crowd and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. The scripture several times says, and he was moved with compassion. It's the same word here. It could have been translated. And he had his heart. He, he had a tender heart for these people. After teaching them and after healing them and after counseling them and guiding them and showing them the Father, after all that, they were still wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. And his response was to have his heart broken, moved with compassion, a tender heart for these people. And so Paul says, have a tender heart for people and forgive them. Now let me show you how how important that is, and I'll use the words of Jesus to do that. This is in Matthew chapter 18. (laughs) I don't know why it does that. But chapter 18 in the book of Matthew. And this is the uh, parable of the unforgiving servant, the unmerciful servant. You may know the story. If you don't, let me me just tell it uh, quickly to get to the point. Um, there, there was a man, very wealthy, and he was looking at the books, and uh, he discovered that the, the bookkeeper had been stealing money. <laughs> and so he, he's looking at the, uh, at the books, and he realized one of the servants has been, you know, siphoning off funds. And he's, the, the servant's, like, really, really good at it because he hasn't just taken a few dollars. He's taken, like, an entire national debt. Uh, he's taken so much money that it's hard to believe there's that much money uh, to be had, let alone left. But he, he's just taken an astronomical sum of money. So the master brings a servant in and he says, look, uh, I've been looking at the books and I noticed that you've been siphoning off the funds and you've taken just a, a, a national debt's worth of, of money from me. I'd like to have it back and I'd like to have it back now. 
Otherwise, I'm going to throw you into jail, which was his right. And the serpent, well, let me read it for you. It says, and this would be Matthew 18, verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. <laughs> you know, right, he's going to pay everything back. But have patience with me. If I live long enough at a dollar a week, I can pay this thing off. You know, well, that's, that's, that's true. And the very next phrase in English, word in Greek, and out of pity for him, that word pity is the same word used when it says Jesus had compassion for the people. It's the same word that Paul uses when he says be tender-hearted. It's the same word. And so the servant pleads, you know, give me time, I'll pay it back. And because he had a tender heart in this situation, that's that's the way we're reading it this morning. And out of a tender heart for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I want you to notice what forgiveness cost the master. It cost him the price of the national debt. If you and I had been been the master, it would have been, well, okay, I forgive the debt, but you need to learn a lesson. You've got to pay back something every month. I know you'll never pay it off, but you've got to learn your lesson. You've got to be reminded every day that I did this. But the master doesn't do that. He says, the whole debt is forgiven, all of it wiped out. You don't even have to pay back a fraction of it. It's totally and completely forgiven. This is an incredible thing. And so the servant, verse 28, but that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, owed him 10 bucks, let's say. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And the other servant falls down and says, oh, you know, be patient with me. Just give me time. I'll pay it all back. And the, and, the, and the ungrateful servant said, no, 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 no. If you don't pay me back now, I'm throwing you into jail. And has him thrown into jail. And then the word get back, gets back to the master. Do you know what that guy did? The, the one you forgave? He just threw one of his friends in jail for a very, very, very small debt. So the master brings in the first servant. He says... Exactly what have you done here? Didn't I forgive you everything? I mean, did you like owe me a national debt size debt? And didn't I forgive you all of it? Here's what you should have done. Well, let's, let's put it this way. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In other words, what should have happened is this. The first servant comes before the master and says, I can't pay back the national debt. You know, be patient with me. I can't pay it back. The master says, you're totally, completely forgiven. Absolutely forgiven. That servant should have gotten up, gone to find his friend, grabbed him by the neck, gotten in his face and said, do you know what just happened? The master forgave me the national debt. i got to forgive you. Why? Because our master is glorious. Our master is forgiving, and I want you to glorify the master because because of who he is. That's why I'm forgiving you this small debt that you owe me. In other words, he should have gone out, and being forgiven, he should have forgiven for the glory of the master. That's what should have happened. 
but he didn't do it. And Jesus said because of that, he, w- he was thrown into prison. He forfeited his forgiveness because he was unwilling to forgive. Now, this all started because of the tender heart of the master. It all started because he had mercy and tenderness and compassion for this servant. And so when the scripture says, be kind and be tender-hearted and forgiving, because that's what God has been for us. He has been tender-hearted and he has been forgiving toward us. And as he has forgiven us, we've just got to go out and forgive others so that they will turn around and give glory to the master who forgave us. That's the idea. So with that sort of as the introduction, we turn back to um, to Ephesians 4. Where Paul says, be kind to one another and tender-hearted and compassionate and forgiving. You know that, that thing about being tender-hearted, do you have any un- under, uh, idea the significance of that for us. Uh, we won't turn there this morning, but, but just very quickly, in the parable of the prodigal son, the young son comes to his dad. man had two sons, and the younger son comes and says, Dad, I've I, I got to get out of here. I'm leaving this dump. I want my inheritance, and I want it now. And the father arranges for the son to take his inheritance with him. him. He goes off to the far country, to a distant land. And there he spends his money in riotous living. And when it's all gone, he winds up feeding pigs. And then one of the great uh, verses of Scripture says, And when he came to himself, when he realized what he was doing, he said to himself, You know, the servants in my father's house, they eat better than I do. Even these pigs are eating better than I do. I know I can't be a son anymore. I know I've, I've just blown it entirely, but maybe dad will let me be a servant. And so he gets up and he goes so that he might be a servant in his dad's house. Oh, let me give this to you. The scripture's better than I am. And the scripture says this. He arose and came to his father, but while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him. Stop right there. The next word, your salvation and mine, hinges on the next word. Because if I'm telling this story, here's how it goes. And the father saw the younger son, oh, far away off. And he was just about angry about it. About time you came back, son. About time and you come crawling back to me. I gave you your inheritance. You've wasted it on laughing stock in the neighborhood. Son, you've got to pay for it. What, you want to be one of my servants? I'll tell you what. I'll let you be a servant of one of my servants. How's that? That's the Wayne Kempson version. Here's God's. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And had a tender heart. It's the same word in the Greek. He saw him a far way off. And it tore him up to see his son coming home. And so he ran to him and he kissed him and he gave him a robe and a ring and and sandals and killed the fatted calf and had a little talk with his older brother. But all because he had a tender heart for his son. Your salvation and mine 
hinges on that word, he felt compassion for us. That's the only way we get in, is by the compassion and the mercy of God. So Paul says, be kind, tenderhearted and forgiving. And remember what the kindness of God is all about. It's all about his grace, his mercy. You know, somebody pointed out that grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when he doesn't give you what you do deserve. And out of his grace and his mercy, God saved us. And that is the kindness of God. Certainly there's the wrath of God. In fact, in Romans 11.22, they're brought together. Romans 11.22 says that we see the severity and the kindness of God. Severity for those who have sinned and rebelled against God. Kindness for those of us who have been called. And see, we, we see both of those. You see, the kindness of God isn't blind. The kindness of God is not unaware of our sinfulness. But the kindness of God is willing to pay the cost of kindness. See, being kind will cost you something. When you're kind to somebody else, it, it means you're, you're going to let go of the hurt. You're just going to absorb it. You're not going to try to lash out and get even. When you're kind to somebody, you're not going to require that, that they, first of all, change and come around and apologize. You're just going to let it go. And it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something emotionally, sometimes cost you something physically to be kind. But think about what it cost God to be kind toward us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And just to show you how important this, this idea is, and this, this is just a, a page or two back. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to pick up in verse 4. And we, we've covered this so you already have this in, in working in your head and your life. But it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Yes, it is right. Some of you are slow on the uptake. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? Verse 7. So that in order that, with the purpose that, and the result that. All that's wrapped up in the Greek grammar. This is called a henna clause, if you care. But that all, that's, that's what this means. To the end that, in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, the reason God saves us in kindness is so that his kindness would be seen in us and people would be pointed to the kindness of the Father. That's how important it is that we are kind to one another. It is so that the kindness of God will be proclaimed and others will be drawn to the kindness of our Father in heaven. That's how significant, that's how important it is. And so when you teach a child, be ye kind one to another, you're not just telling them, be nice to your, to your friends and be nice to your brothers and sisters. Be ye kind one to another is reflect the presence of God in your life by the way you treat others. And so I have a little homework for you um, for this week. 
Uh, first of all, I want you to memorize the first part of Ephesians 4.32. Uh, Be ye kind one to another. Can you do that? I mean, if you start now, you might nail it by Friday. <laughs> just, just, just anchor that in your head. Be ye kind one to another. And do it in King James because it's more holy that way. But, <laughs> but be ye kind one to another. You got it. Be ye kind one to another. And then every day this week, sometime in the morning, you know, as the day begins, I want you to stop and repeat your Bible verse. Be ye kind one to another. And then let it shape how you treat people throughout the day. And let it shape how you witness for Christ by your actions throughout the day. And let it be a signal for you to just be worshiping and praising God throughout the day. So that every day you can fulfill, be ye kind one to another. For the advanced students, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your kindness towards us. That your heart was so moved with compassion for us that you forgave us in Christ Jesus. And because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we want to be more like Jesus. And so, Father, make us kind. Make us tenderhearted. Make us forgiving so that others would give you glory, honor, and praise. And we thank you that this isn't our doing. 